Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Hey, the premise of this podcast is super simple. I invite someone I'd love to photograph and have a conversation with to my studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The first thing they do is sit down and come into my world of portrait photography, and we create that portrait together. Then we sit down and have an extended conversation about whatever we would like. And then we share that conversation out into the world for you to hopefully enjoy. And I have to say that I am, again, overwhelmed by the nice messages and the the amount of people that are listening and commenting on this podcast and certain episodes. I'm getting lots of nice letters. Please continue to do that. That really keeps me going. This is a passion project. This isn't anything I get paid for. We don't have any sponsors. So, um, you know, it really is just something that I love. I love talking to people. I love taking their portraits. And I think that a lot of interesting conversations happen around a camera and the creative process. And I love to share that with you in this platform, being a podcasting platform. Hey, I want to tell you a little bit about my next guest for this episode. It's Adashola McKinday. He's, uh, I think I've known Adashola for about eight years. I met him when he was still in college as an intern. Uh, We had a mutual friend that I met him with. And uh, I didn't, you know, you meet young interns and you think, uh, you know, maybe you forget most of them. (laughs) But Adashola was somebody I've never forgotten. He's a hustler in town, meaning he uh, is an artist. He's doing involved in he's involved in many different things. Um, today, I'd call him a multimedia artist. He's based here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he's constantly evolving. He's only eight, 28 years old. He's raised in Chicago in the suburbs, and he got a start in photography, taking photos at parties, concerts, fashion shows, and other cultural events. Eventually, Adeshola found himself hustling to concerts all around the country to photograph some of the most famous performers in music, both on stage and backstage. And we're talking about artists like D'Angelo, Lil Wayne, Travis Scott, and Common. Those are just the name of a few of the dozens and dozens of uh, performers he's he's, uh, documented. And... You know, for a lot of young photographers, you'd call that a major success and just keep doing more and more concert photography. But eventually, Adeshola found himself longing to say much more with his work, uh, much more than just documenting live events and uh, basically celebrity performers. So he started a small streetwear label that began experimenting with social justice messages. And now today, he finds himself working in collage, And this is really interesting. We dig into this in the podcast. But uh, he sources images and words from vintage magazines from like the 50s, 60s, 70s, like uh, magazines like Jet and Ebony and even uh, old newsletters from the Black Panther Party. And he cuts these words and photographs out of these magazines to create new collages and commentaries that tackle social issues that affect marginalized people. Now, that's a mouthful. But at, uh, at the age of 28, again, Adeshola is somebody I admire. He's always evolving, changing, thinking about what's next. He cares deeply about his community and people around the country and uh, what's happening politically and uh, at the community level all the way up through um, you know, national politics. 
So we dive into that a bit, and I, I hope you enjoy this. It is about, uh, we talk a little bit about photography and what inspires us as photographers, but really this podcast is for anyone who is involved in the creative process, is an entrepreneur, has to hustle, has to work through frustration. This is a great episode for you because Adeshola is grinding it out. And, uh, you know, success for him is a constant moving target, and he's always moving towards that target, whatever it might be. And he goes to that target through self-exploration and self-commentary, which I admire very, very much. I want to get into this, but I just want to remind everybody that this podcast is fueled by passion, purely just passion, and my businesses, which are Brian Kelly Photography and Brian Kelly Productions. As always, if you're thinking about embarking on a photo or video project, please reach out to me. I love working with companies all sizes, all different budget ranges, and I would love for you to reach out to me so we can start a dialogue and see if we can collaborate on something together. So without further ado, here is Adeshola and I talking in our studio, and I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'll talk to you again on the flip side of the conversation. Enjoy. Mic check, one, two. I've always wanted to say that. There you go. <laughs> I know as soon as I get on this thing and I have the headphones, something about putting the headphones on, my voice drops like three octaves. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. It gets yeah. real smooth. I've never had a deep voice. <laughs> Shut up. I really want to see DMX when he comes to town. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got a... 28th anniversary... Of It's Dark and Hell is Hot, I think is the name of the album. Have you shot any It's the one that recently? Jonathan Mannion, the, oh, cover really? of, the cover of DMX in the Blood. Oh, yeah. 20th anniversary of that album. Mannion is a beast. Yeah, he's... He'll post, like, Throwback Thursday photos, and I'm like, dude, And you're, part of me feels fair. like, yeah, I don't even know. Like, he, Mannion was such a monster in the 90s at the explosion and all that. Has all those long relationships, but... I wonder how much that world has changed. And I wonder at the time how much he was getting paid for those uh, shoots. Probably all... I feel like in the 90s, like, at the height of DMX... Like, that was, like, the height of rap in the 90s is when he was out. So I feel like that was when you saw, like, the shiny videos and stuff. Yeah. I feel like he was probably getting paid a lot. I think you're probably the only Because he was the only guy. It was him or that Chimodu guy. Are you familiar with him at all? I don't really know him. No. He's great. He was a... Chimoto? Chimodu. He's a Nigerian guy. I just found he was yeah. Nigerian. But he was a photo editor for uh, The Source. Yeah. So he shot everything. And he has, like... He just put out a book, like, two years ago of all Tupac photos that he shot that are just wild. Um, yeah, and a lot of those are, like, four by five and, like, yep. large format. And what I love about Mannion's studio now when I follow his Instagram is... Just the boxes and boxes of contact prints yeah. and film. And his archive is like hip-hop and rap from day one. It's nuts. And, yeah. I think it's all, it's probably harder now to make money for him than it ever was back in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, because people aren't looking to hire him anymore, really. Because there's so many... Well, anyone can do, like, yeah. at a certain level, that's one of my beefs with the whole industry, I, quite frankly, is, you know, just because technology has democratized what, like, 
photo, good photos are more possible now. Mm-hmm. But it'll never replace someone who's as skilled as Jonathan Mannion. Not at all. And and he's just. I mean, look at look at look at his look at his book. Like, how can you even? To me, there's no one that even. You just put your camera down and then you go be an accountant because you're not going to do that. You know, not like not the way that he did it. No. Yeah. What other photographers are are like huge for you or were over the last few years? Uh, I mean, guys like him. Chimodu for sure. Um, I think Danny Clinch. Yeah, I like Mar- what Mark. Sel- How do you pronounce his last name? Seliger. I like his Oscar stuff that he does. Yeah, it's always blows me away. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but besides that, like, I like a lot of like. There's this girl. Uh, she's really young. She's like twenty. She's probably like twenty-two now. She graduated from Central Saint Martin's. What is um, Central St. Martin's? It's like a huge fashion. It's like where McQueen went. It's oh. where Ricardo oh, it's in London. went. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Um, but she studied fashion photography there, and her stuff is just super interesting. But is she shooting fashion, or is she shooting, uh, like, uh, she, music culture? She's shooting fashion. Um, music-wise, uh, I don't know. It's not... I feel like everyone kind of transitioned to... Concert photography, yeah, which we can kind of talk about in the yeah. thing because that's kind of well. Let me let, let's just because we're rolling and we've got good stuff before this. But um, at a show, I just want to say thank you, man, for coming on. I, I I don't even how long do you think we've known each other? It hasn't been that long, but it hasn't been. I would say since I started like hanging out in downtown Grand Rapids, so like 2010. Ten. Okay, so we're we're got nine years, almost a decade. Yeah. And you, uh, you still were carrying, or I noticed uh, the moniker "Young Atashola." Where did that, where did that get uh, born just, out of? Just being a, a young dude around some older guys or in business? Pretty much. Um, we met through Ben, uh, ben, ben Gott, and um, they were. Yeah, all I still older. remember the first day I met you. Uh, we were. I, I was working on some project that was somehow under the umbrella of of Ben uh, Ben's efforts and I was at their new offices or something and then you were just I don't know if you interned for for Benjamin Gott or not but uh, yeah I how did you meet how did that get going I met him once at the meanwhile and then I randomly went up to his office just to introduce myself and I started interning for him shortly after that, yeah. um, working on his publication at the time, sometime in, which he had done the first installation, and we were working on doing other installations for, like, different cities. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Young Adeshola comes from, I hung around a bunch of older guys at the time, yeah. so Ben yeah. was, like, probably, I think he's, like, five or so years older than me. But it's just enough. But, when you're 21, I remember, like, I remember looking at, you know, 26, 27, 28-year-olds is like, uh, I'm probably never going to be that old. I'm probably <laughs> never going to be 28, you yeah. know? <laughs> For sure. So I feel like I've always kind of hung out with a wide variety of people, yeah. but older, I guess. But yeah. Well, we just wrapped your portrait, and one thing I'm always forget- forgetting to ask the first couple of interviews that we did, I mean, do you enjoy, I know you're a photographer, I should say that Adeshola McKendee is my guest, and he is... 
a very talented photographer, artist. Uh, you've dabbled in a lot of things, fashion, um, music, photography. You've had a lot of your own shows around town. Like you're just a guy that I wanted to talk to you because you're always seems to be hustling and it's in the arts and you're very much pursuing who you are and who you're going to become, whatever that is. And you're figuring it out, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, do you like being photographed? Did you like, do you like? Um, I always like the end result. Yeah. When I'm working with a photographer as talented as yourself. Oh, stop. Um, so it's not like natural to me. You know, like some people I think know how to move in front of a camera and all that. And I obviously don't, but yeah, I enjoy seeing photos of myself. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, uh, I don't actually enjoy any si- the other side of the camera at all. And most of it's wrapped up into whatever, I'm, you know, I think I look old or too fat or it's all about physicality. But what I found about portraiture about people is most people are like yourself. Like they don't really, they're not confident being photographed. But uh, they will come around to that of whatever photo session I do with somebody. They will find images that they really like. It might not be the same ones that I like. But there's a whole bunch of them that they don't like that they've just projected all their own insecurities onto. And I do that all the time. So, well, let's take it from there because I've, I've admired the arc that you've had around photography. Um, you know, you would always track me down or hit me hit me up with a question or borrow a lens or do whatever. Mm-hmm. But you were always eager to to learn, and you gravitated pretty early on towards events. I remember, actually, we had a pretty long discussion one time, I think around where do I start with business? Like, nobody knows anything. I didn't know anything when I started either, and I was yeah. just trying to help, you know, some of the easier parts of the business to build are around event photography and, uh, you know, just covering events and giving people photography for it. So, but uh, what was your initial, was that kind of what happened? Like, tell me, like, so what were you first shooting when you first started to be a photographer? And what were you thinking about at that point? When I first started shooting, it was like, it was back during like the Tumblr days when that was really big. Yeah. I still have a Tumblr, by the way. Yeah, I think I do. I don't really remember um, if I deleted it or not, especially after they changed their I'm still thinking right now. Like, some of the promo photos I'll drop for your podcast, they're going up on Tumblr, dude. Wow. Yeah, I haven't been on Tumblr in, like, probably two, three years. I also like to still use my AOL and Earthlink accounts, so a lot of (laughs) dial-up. So it does take a long time to upload the images to my Tumblr. (laughs) But that's more my issue than yours. Yeah. So anyway, you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I came up during the Tumblr days, and then kind of that's kind of what most kids my age would say if you ask them that question in whatever realm that they, realm of creativity that they do. Yeah. Um, but at the time, uh, Virgil actually was taking... Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, watch your toes. Name drop. Uh, he was Virgil... Taking- Ablo, he was taking oh. a lot of photos. On and his what does Virgil Ablo do now? I'm sorry, uh, he, maybe uh, he works <laughs> for a company that we should he's, know about. He's the head designer at Louis Vuitton now. Louis Vuitton. I'm, yeah. Okay, Louis Vuitton. Gotcha. Okay, I, so Virgil. First I wasn't, name basis with Virgil. I wasn't trying to <laughs> name drop like that, but uh, what would you say, Virgil? 
No, yeah, I sorry. I just, yeah. I said, I like, yeah. Anyways. Um, there is an audience. I know I said, hey, we, let's just talk like we're, we're hanging out. I apologize. Yeah. There's some other people listening. Anyway. So. Sorry, I'll quit. At Boston. the time of Virgil Abloh, he was Kanye's career director at this moment. And he just documented his life through his BlackBerry. Yeah. At the time, I had a BlackBerry. I was kind of in the Stone Ages at the time because everyone had been transitioning to iPhone. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to stick with this. I started started taking photos of my own on my BlackBerry, kind of copying what he was doing. Um, But I would document, like, when I would go to Rockies, which was a place at the time a lot of us in Grand Rapids would go out on Fridays and dance at. Yeah. Um, Those were huge. Yeah. There was five or six years where I was, I'd already aged out of that category. However, I used to see on social and everything, like, there was just, Amazing group of creative like that, that whole dynamic of that group of people between yeah. probably twenty two and thirty five, were killing it and going to Rockies for dance nights and it looked like a blast. Yeah, it was great. Um, so, anyway, so you're shooting, so you know, I was you're shooting, shooting those parties, like kind of like street life, street nonchalant, yeah, 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 super, super, super basic. And then from there, I transitioned into. I finally got a camera of my own, um, which then I started shooting Rockies every Friday. It was kind of like practice for me. And those kind are of, tough lighting conditions. You know, it's dark. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to get good photos in those. You know, there's a lot of energy and movement, mm-hmm. and it's dark. And you have to, you know, there's a lot of variables. So I think as a young photographer, we might not, all of us aren't very technically proficient right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, shooting a nightclub where everybody's dancing and sweating and drinking isn't always uh, the most conducive to a high ratio of great photography. No. Although there's a lot of beautiful accidents. Yeah, there's tons of that. And it kind of just taught me how to shoot candidly, like candid moments, which I think is what I still love the most when I shoot photography. Um, But, yeah, I kind of... Then I transitioned from that... um, into music photography because uh, Ben Edgar, who we mentioned earlier, um, had asked me to come and document Box Waters' time at Lollapalooza. Yeah. So then I was like, I went to that, not really with music photography in mind. I was just going to document. Yeah, you had a client who needed, like they were doing a marketing activation at a huge festival in Chicago, and you're like, I got this. Exactly. So... Yeah, but, I mean, that sort of sparked this whole other interest of sort of behind-the-scenes music industry, stage performances, and mm-hmm. whatever access you could get then. Was that about when you started really hustling around trying to get access to shows after that experience? After that experience, yeah. I would say I definitely... I would say it was probably after... So after those two years that I did that, I did it... The both years that they went, they were the official water of the festival. Um, I then went to South by Southwest. Um, some friends of mine who ran a pretty prominent rap blog at the time, illroots.com, they threw a party every year at South by Southwest called the Ilmore. They um, collabed with this events company in the Texas area, mm-hmm. um, Scoremore. Um, these parties were super legendary. There's like videos of Kendrick Lamar performing 
earlier songs from his original his debut album. Yeah, well, nobody really knew what he was gonna be for sure. Yeah, and they would get they would have these really iconic moments, and I was like, I have to get there. Right. So after I saw. Those. I remember you trying to hustle get together the cash too, because I think yeah. the hard part about the music industry, just to get down there and back, is trying to like fund your trip. Exactly. It's hard to make money in this landscape now. We were talking about Jonathan Mannion, but like he was getting paid back then because technically a lot of people couldn't couldn't do it. You had to have no. really skilled film photographers to be able to do that. Everything like a digital upset that whole Apple cart, and now. Every kid wants to shoot live events and do those things, so it's hard to get paid. But I remember you trying to hustle, and you, you know you're just out of college. Yeah, you don't have a lot of extra income, and you're like, I gotta get to. But you bankrolled yourself to get down there. I and, did. And then what happened after that? So, well, go through that whole process of the shooting that festival, and then what what happened from there? So then, shooting that festival, excuse me, um, shooting that festival was kind of like really important in my formative years because it just opened my eyes to like what was possible with quote unquote event photography and documenting certain cultures, spaces and whatnot. So after that, I kind of was really like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and document music. Um, And from there, I kind of just reached out myself to promoters um, yeah, because there was a period managers. of years that you were anywhere in the state of Michigan, if there was an act coming in that you were at all interested, you were trying to hustle, find the promoter, get access, get a press pass, get mm-hmm. backstage, do whatever you could. Yeah. And that, that carried you for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that. Like So from the South By, which was like 2000 and I think 14 was the first year I went. Um up until 2016 when my book came out, I probably had shot like, I don't know, 70 shows, more than that. Um, The year my book came out, I shot 30 shows that year, which I kind of made it a goal to like shoot as many as possible that year. Yes, because you knew you were doing a book and an exhibition. So that's a good point to talk about because I really think that for creatives... To reverse engineer your creativity is sometimes a huge, huge asset. So if you're going to say to yourself, I, you know, as we're talking right now, it's early March 2019, and if I said, I need a book out of this subject matter by June of 2020, I'm going to start hustling. So talk about the idea of you wanting to put a book together that lit a fire that you could shoot 30 shows in between that and the book launch. I don't know what was going through my mind at the time. It was honestly very ambitious because it wasn't even just Michigan shows. Like, I was going to Chicago. I was going to Detroit um, and everywhere in between. But I think the part that made it most strenuous physically is just, like, at the time when I was doing all that, I'm not getting paid for any of these shows to do them or shoot them. I'm just doing them to kind of build a portfolio and just just for the love of it. Um, but all while doing that, I'm working a full-time job yeah. where my hours are 7, 30 to 4 every day. So I would, like, leave work at 4, go shoot a show in whatever city, drive back that night, edit photos, get them ready to post, 
then go back to work at 7.30. Yeah. And I did this for an entire year, and it was just, like, a lot. Um, but that's the grind, right? Yeah, that's, that's the passion. That's the, that's you it. know, when you're doing stuff that you don't need to be doing, like, in the, you can just work your full-time job mm-hmm. and, you know, step that. But, like, that's when you, you know that you have to answer the call, right? Because if you're that willing to go that many nights of driving hundreds of miles each way, no sleep and still working, showing up the next day. Like that, that tells you what you really want to be doing. Right. Exactly. And I think that was what pushed me. It was like, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do whatever it takes. Um, but yeah, I guess in hindsight, I think I wouldn't change any of that. I think I would just be more intentional about like what I'm shooting. What's the end goal yeah. Um, that's what I would tell anyone trying to. But do you don't that know. See, that's stuff. what I talk to a lot of young people that and music seems to be a it still has a romanticism to like shooting concerts or traveling with a band or whatever, but there are no paying gigs in music photography no. anymore. You know, the best you could do is maybe get hired at a venue to shoot all their shows. Mm-hmm. And get paid whatever they'll pay you, but it's not going to be like your full time. Like you're not going to make a good living doing that. Yeah, and it's very rare. It's hard, you know. It's hard, and even magazines now. The other other job I see in the music industry that could be cool is bands now can hire people fairly affordably to go on tour with them and do BTS and do video clips, mm-hmm. and just be a content stream for directly for the band. And that access would be great. Mm-hmm. That would be fun if you were of a certain age and wanted to travel and tight budgets and just get around the world or the country, it'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. But those gigs are far and few between and, you know, it's kind of hard. Like, wait, you know, there's a lot of dead ends if you only want to do music photography, I think. Yeah, and I think that was the realization for me. That's kind of like, I've kind of like stepped back from it um, the past, I don't know, I'd say six months to a year, just kind of like reassessing my my goals and aspirations and that's why I've dabbled in fashion and yeah now with more fine art stuff but all right so you're you're sort of pivoting out of music but I think it's really important to reflect on what you accomplish out of that because you have to know I really admire you in terms of like you putting yourself out there for you had no idea. I remember in an old gallery space I used to have you. You'd do little ten dollar print shows, and you know you just gather your friends and and you would early on and <laughs> swipe and square on iPads. Like I was like so amazed. You know you're getting uh, people are buying prints, but there you were always trying to innovate just to cover your costs. But it also gave you a presence in the community that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't done that. Um, but, you know, you were hustling exhibitions. You put together a really beautiful book, like really good. I remember I showed my daughter Hannah, who happens to be here, like I bought it at your book opening. And then I showed Hannah, she's like, who's this photographer? Like, who's this person shooting all these? Like, who, <laughs> like the, he lives in town, like pretty blown away. So you sort of forget when you're in the fight of just trying to stay in it that the the impression that you're leaving is many times a hundred and I'm saying this to myself because I don't always realize what I'm doing either but it does create there's a higher value and re- return on your brand than sometimes just 
you know, you had to make uh, money out of a project. But tell me about that. So, you, you know, early on you're shooting all these shows, you have a book idea, you design and release a book, you're doing exhibitions in town, even though they're sort of these smaller gatherings. But tell me about that. Yeah, so I've always been obsessed with coffee table books. Um, I own a bunch. Um, you can go broke pretty quick buying those, too. Yeah. They're, I love them. I got tons of they're them. They're the best. Um, I feel like, and I've always felt like art is at its best when it's tangible, especially in this generation where, like, Instagram is such a big thing, I think. There's something you can't take away from holding a book or a print or whatever. Yeah. So it was like a lofty idea that I had. I was like, I'm going to make a book of all the f- music photography that I've taken up until this point. I believe it was five years worth of photos at the time. Um, and I had admired the design work of one of my good friends, Ben Biondo. Um, he had done a lot of work for... Him and his friends were the ones that ran Gaspar Gallery, who at the time were doing incredible art installations, um, very progressive. Um, I think if they did that stuff now, it would still be very um, very sought after and talked about because just really progressive stuff. Um, anyways. Especially around here. like This exactly. isn't like a very deep, literate art town. Exactly. And I think they were doing stuff that I think any city... Yeah. Like, you could pick it up and put it in, in some cool cultured New York, Austin, exactly. shit, you know, some thing, and, and it would stand up. Mm-hmm. And they were always just, like, a huge inspiration to me that, like, doing that kind of work here I think is important to do because I think people forget that you kind of have to cultivate what you want. You can't just, like, always say, oh, this isn't happening here or whatnot. But anyways, uh, Ben... Um, he was the designer for that collective. And I reached out and I was like, hey, would you want to work on a book together? You could do the design work, just use my photos. And we met and we designed the book. He was living in California at the time and I was living here. And we designed a book basically via email and text for an entire year. Um, planned the book release, worked with the Graham, the Grand Rapids Art Museum to get it like a proper release show for it. Yeah. Um, but Which isn't easy to do, right? There's, no. There's a lot of gatekeepers at museums, art museums, especially yeah. the marquee. Pick any city, and if you pick the most marquee blue chip museum in town, art museum, yeah, you got to knock on some doors. Yeah. And there's a few layers of validation that you got to get through. Yeah, for sure. So that came through. Um, I actually was a... I DJed quite a bit in yeah. town as well, um, and there was a um, design agency, Conduit. They were yeah. doing a commercial a spot for the Gram, and they needed a DJ for a party, and I did the DJ I've gig. used you on DJ stuff, too, for other yeah. kind of video projects. I've yeah. working on corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So... It works out, dude. I did that gig to get the Gram for my party. Yeah. So it's kind of like a deal we worked out. Um, the book ended up actually being funded. I couldn't fund it myself, so I launched a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, I raised enough money to print the first run. How much of money the book. did you need? Do you mind sharing like just what was the big I money believe, dollar number you needed? 
I think it was $3,000 was the Kickstarter. But you were going to do a shorter print run. It wasn't like you were printing 1,000 books. No, I printed 75 books Yeah, um, the first run. But that tells you how beautiful it is a beautiful book. Thank you. And it's printed well. It's designed well. But, you know, three grand's a lot of money. Yeah, it was a lot. And it ended up not being enough that I needed, which I learned eventually but uh, because there was so many other costs I didn't think about, you know, it was like, though I got the space for free, I had to provide bar staff for the party, <laughs> yeah. provide a lot of people come calling with the old yeah. pocketbook, uh, you know, exactly vacuum. Yeah. So there's just like all these like hidden things that I didn't really think about. Yeah. Um, and it's like part a, of learning, you know. But it applies to any business. Like you couldn't open a gas station without like a bunch of surprises and cost overruns or like a graphic design firm. Like you just don't know until no. you're in it. And it doesn't matter at some point because you're already down the tracks so far. You're you can't get off the tracks. And no. You're not going to back up the train. No. You just got to eat it and go. Yeah, and that's definitely what I did. But it ended up being great. You know, it was. It's still a party that people talk about, and yeah. uh, the turnout was parties, incredible. Your parties and your exhibitions are probably the only things I ever get out to. <laughs> like literally, like I don't go out at night hardly because I'm got family and kids. But like, yeah, it I'll always see. blew me away when I would see you there because I was like, this guy's got a family. <laughs> Why is he even at this ridiculous right. party? But you would come and you would support and. Well, it's not a party till I get there. That's yeah. the problem. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. When's Brian coming? Everyone's checking the watch. And it's usually I'm there by uh, 545, and I'm leaving by 7 p.m. Yeah, you're, you're in or you're out. I'm the early, like, so I'm the early draw, you know? And then there's this whole after 10 p.m. crowd that comes later. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I'm already in bed, but. Yeah, so that party happened. Um. And then I ended up getting the book into the USCA and the Grand Rapids Art Museum's like gift shop. Yeah. Um, the first run so actually sold out. Um, the first run actually sold out that the weekend of the release, which was great. Yeah. And then the second run. Well, because you had your Kickstarter commitment. Yeah. You, a lot of people bought it, pre-bought it. Uh-huh. You fulfilled those orders. I bought it before I was part of the Kickstarter package. Uh-huh. But then you did a certain amount of overrun. Yeah. Just to cover, you know, like you people didn't want to be like sold out and not have any books left. So exactly. you had a certain amount that you could get through just for impulse sales or like, you know, two or three months down the road. Yeah. And then along with that... Um, there were a lot of like impulse sales, but along with just like the book, I've always been fascinated by like merchandise, like yeah. t-shirts, posters, things well, that come along. Well, that's a huge pivot because I think, you know, from then, take it from the, um, I don't want to cut off the photography stuff, but that's like okay. what happened then quickly after that was that there was a rhythm of some of your own clothing designs and a photo show. And sometimes those worlds sort of overlapped mm-hmm. sometimes. And uh, so your interests are kind of keep layering on top of each other, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really separate them. Like they're sort of part of like... They were somewhat separated, but... Not in your the... mind, like in the creative space. What I'm saying is that these were a creative size of you, but it was all things that you were willing to play around and experiment with. 
when you're in a landscape that no one's going to pay you to do that Mm -mm. until they already see the product and it's a want versus a need. They're all wants. Yeah, nothing's like what. What here's my other nugget of wisdom about because I nearly went bankrupt owning an art gallery for eight years, seven years. Sorry. Uh, n- nobody needs to hang anything from your store on a wall mm-hmm. or wear it. You have to. They have to want it. So anyway, that's my. You already knew that, but like. Yeah, and I think the more, the more I create stuff. Um, the more I realized that, like, what you exactly what you just said, like these things aren't needs; they're yeah. they're wants, and you have to be able to sell right. something. Um, so then I, from the book, I transitioned into. So I sold at the book release. I sold things like Adesola McKinney branded uh, t-shirts, totes, posters, lighters, mm-hmm. pins, postcards, and the t-shirts were selling a lot. And not in, of, not in the double XL category. I don't even know if you made them in that. Category. I did not. That's a whole demographic you missed, dude. Uh, <laughs> and it's right in front of you. Yeah. You know, I'm all about body positivity <laughs> and supporting all Shapes and sizes, and I realize except, that now. Except my size, I understand. <laughs> There's just a point where it does hurt your brand if I'm wearing your stuff. I get it, dude. It's okay. I don't agree, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I, I was selling a lot of the t-shirts, which kind of like I've always wanted to do my own clothing brand. Um, fashion's a huge inspiration to me. Yeah, um, especially streetwear. Um, like brands like Stussy and yeah. things like that. But uh, so, yeah, it kind of like lit a light bulb in my head. And I was like, why don't I just try and start a clothing brand? And this was kind of around when the political climate was shifting from Obama's end of Obama's inauguration, end of Obama's like presidency into um Donald Trump's presidency and kind of my my consciousness was being raised at that time. Um, I think it was actually you that posted something about uh, the documentary "I Am Not Your Negro" with oh, James yeah. Baldwin, and you were like, "This should be watched. This should be um, mandatory watch for all kids in school." And I had been hearing a lot of like buzz around this documentary, and I watched it and. After leaving that documentary, I was just blown away at how I hadn't learned about James Baldwin in school. I didn't know much about him either. No. Until, you know, it was a huge... I find that I think we're into a really interesting pivot point because I'm imagining that you being from Chicago uh, and Obama being from Chicago and he carries himself a certain way and is admired by a lot of people but also hated by a lot of people. Um, that that transition had to be um, to the current administration and that whole election cycle had to be a a bit unnerving. Yeah. But so the political landscape's a little tenuous. You see I'm Not Your Negro by James, or it's about James Baldwin, the author's life. It's about, it it was about primarily, he was writing a book about, because he had a relationship with Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and he was writing how he knew them, and he was writing about their assassinations. Um, 
And I had just, it was just like, it just blew me away that like, A, we didn't learn about this guy in school. James Baldwin is unbelievable to me. Yeah. Have um, you looked at, have you watched all, like YouTube interviews with oh, him? Oh yeah. After that, I was like obsessed. Unbelievable. Um, and I just, I still watch things all yeah. the time. And I love it. Anytime I see something sort of pop up from him, even if I've seen it, like it'll be a clip on Twitter or like it'll be posted somewhere. I always watch it because the context of that time, being a black man, gay, closeted, intelligent. So intellectual. So intellectual. Yeah. My favorite thing is, too, when he did the, the he did a debate in, in England at, uh, uh, anyway. Is, is I don't that, go it, it was at a while. school, correct? It was at a college in England. Yeah. And I think Malcolm X was actually in that same conversation. He might have been with him on a tour or yeah. something. I can't remember. But... I still need to dig into that now because all this stuff and which will pivot us to some of your collage work because it does have a lot of social justice themes and some of these tensions that are happening. But, you know, I grew up quite frankly in a, in a very, uh, not a very diverse uh, school district, not anybody's fault. That's just where I grew up. But I, it took me a long time to sort of get up to speed and until really my, my, um, my youngest daughter has a lot of special needs. And it really was through that experience of being a father of somebody who is not like other people mm-hmm. uh, in just her everyday life and physicality that I could even open a door to empathy towards, oh, this this applies to racial problems we're having. This applies to like that prism of uh, you know poverty and sort of controlled systems that don't allow people out even though they're talented and just as capable as any other human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. So anyway, talk about your pivot then during that time. I'm just saying that Baldwin and so I'm always trying to go back. The 13th, uh, 13th uh, amendment, that documentary documentary was incredible about, you know, incarceration and just that system and whether everybody believes or wants to take every fact the way that the director did, it doesn't matter. It's undeniable mm-hmm. what's happening and has been happening for 300, 400 years in our country around um, those issues. So anyway, but the, the point is, is that I am still not literate. I'm still, I'm digging, I'm voracious now. I want to catch up. I want to be more empathetic. I want to understand more about how did we get here? Because I'm just, I enjoy every day a privilege that other people don't have that aren't white. And of a certain, I grew up upper middle class, got a great family unit, you know, the parents that love me. Mm-hmm. And so I need to, uh, that cuts you off from, like you can just, there's other people in the world. There were other handicapped people. I'm sorry, I'm on a soapbox here no, for a minute. No, that's okay. But, but the point is, is just that it takes a real personal experience of some kind could be a collision with art, could be a friendship, could be uh, something like your daughter being born. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that isn't a normal life, mm-hmm. where you can open up and say, "Oh, I, I don't have this figured out." I know there's a lot of problems. So from Baldwin to today, I think there's a lot of the same issues. These are the same narratives we've been dealing with for Malcolm X. As you mentioned, MLK, mm-hmm. Baldwin, all those great leaders. Yeah. 
But yeah, sorry. Take it from there. I just uh, okay. I just trumped all over that. Not I didn't mean Donald trumped over. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, uh. Yeah, I feel like so, and it's funny that you mentioned even thirteenth. Both of these things I saw you post about. So I think you're doing the diligent, intentional job of like educating yourself on things that you might not know or whatnot, and like sharing that because it's important to use your voice in that way, which is kind of the way I took my clothing brand. I wanted to like say something. Yeah. Um, it's kind of why I started to like pivot away from music photography is just because I've always, since that moment and before that even, I kind of wanted to have a voice that said something more than like, oh, here's a show I went to, mm-hmm. I documented it or whatever. And this is not like a knock towards anyone that does that. I just, for myself personally, wanted to say more. Um, Right. Well, I think it's a difference between holding a mirror up and saying that this is what happened and I documented it on this night or pivoting to say, I'm going to now do something. I'm going to say something. Yeah. Like you're going to have a narrative Mm -hmm. that's can't, it's not a mirror anymore. Mm -hmm. You might hold up a mirror as a narrative, but and I yeah, and I still kind of do. Like I think that's the way I am approaching social my social justice type of things is like kind of just showing people like because I didn't learn about James Baldwin growing up. I think it's important that since I do know about him, to talk about him, yeah. share his story, talk about those kinds of things. So. Um, well, well, let's talk. I want to pivot from. So, take me from Baldwin, that experience, and uh, leaving behind. So, in some way, there's some emptiness around just shooting, you know, different types of musical acts that would come into town to you longing for something else and colliding with films or reading books or whatever it might be, along with your own experience as a black man in the United States. Mm-hmm. And and then along to create something more personal and more confrontational, perhaps, which brings me to, from your fashion, talk about that, but also the collage work you're working now because they're very powerful pieces. Yeah, the, the collage work kind of uh, started from, like, discovering old magazines like Ebony and Jet, which were... Uh, black-owned publications started in Chicago by the Johnson Publishing Company. Mm-hmm. Um, it recently... It was the first billionaire, I think. I, uh, I believe so. First African-American black billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it recently was sold, I believe, but um, the archive is actually still in Chicago. Um, this artist that I just discovered, uh, Theaster Gates. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. I was just... I've just been discovering his stuff and like what he's doing as far as community building yeah, and all that is just incredible to me. But you got to hook up with Kevin Beist if you want to go meet the Astro or go hang out with him or go yeah. talk to because he's the conduit. Totally. He came in for Art Prize and uh, I spent three or four hours with the Astro. He was a juror on a, for the jury grand prize. So oh, wow. he helped give out 200 grand for Art Prize. But anyway, I was blown away by that guy. Yeah, he's... Next level, the next next level. So, 
Oh, my fa- I, I'll let you go uh, in a second. But there's a piece I can't ever get out of my mind by Theaster Gates, and those were the um, when he hung those fire trucks in the. Have you seen those that installation he did? No. Like, literally, fire engines were suspended, and sort of it, it, it was crazy. And I forget the exact narrative. I wouldn't do it justice by uh, trying to put it up. But it was about, I think, like. Response times around, you know, like, wow. you know, yeah, res- like response time, yeah, 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 to certain communities, and yeah, which is a big thing in Chicago because yeah. South Side, is- yeah, their response times to those specific areas are <laughs> a lot slower than Isn't certain that weird areas. How that works out, yeah. So yeah, with the clause work I've been doing, the goal behind them is to, um, kind of, I've been educating myself by like just any of them that I get, um. I read them, I read the articles in them, but then I like, I cut them up and I repurpose them into these collages. And that was my question because you're, you're using like headlines, headline style fonts and things, but these are actual things or are you recreating them sometimes like designing and laying them out on your own? Are these collages that you're literally cutting out? It's not a digital collage, it's just a physical collage? It's, it's a physical collage. That's cool. So I cut up these magazines. Um, wording images that I kind of think that I will use in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I will sit down and just create these collages by hand. Usually I do at the library, um, just spread out at a table and kind of just work on them. Which library would you like to go to? The one downtown. Ryerson? Cool. Yeah. Um, It is a cool library. Yeah, it's really quiet. No one's really... No one's there. I feel like people don't take advantage of the library. Who goes to libraries anymore? Yeah, I feel like no one really goes, but it's where I, like, do most of my work now is, like, I'll I'll go there after work and just kind of spread out, make the collages, scan them in there, edit them, and then post. But, um, yeah, the whole, like... what's the overarching narrative? Like, so what are you trying to do with this work in a social sense or... Uh, I know you're just kind of early into this body of work, but is there an overarching umbrella theme or a guidance that you feel that's pulling you through? Like, what's the thread through this from your personal, you know, what are you, um, how are you kicking down a door with these? The theme is I want to eventually show these in museums or those kinds of spaces, spaces where, like, they come into contact with, all walks of life because my goal with this work is to just educate people, ask questions, spark conversations about things people might not think about. Or like yesterday I made one and it was about, it's been eerily coinciding with things happening in the news. Like I think it was yesterday when I posted one about police brutality, the news came out about those cops in Sacramento who got let off for killing a kid yeah. who had a cell phone that they mistook for a gun. And, like, that's been happening a lot when I post these things. Like, literally that day. Well, then the next, uh, I think it might have been the same day or or the same, within another day, it was mm-hmm. the one where this traffic guy, guy got pulled over and he had his arms up in the air and this female cop just blasted him and killed him right there. And it's like he, the footage from a helicopter shows him with his arms up. Yeah, I think and that he, was, they were. She was acquitted. Is my point, and she still works for a different. Now she went to a different uh, yeah. police, you know, precinct or something. But mm-hmm. it's like, come on. Yeah, and I think 
to kind of circle back to James Baldwin, that documentary, um, I'm Not Your Negro, is like, I think it was, the point of that documentary was to show us that though things may seem like they have changed, so much is still the same because I think America as a country just doesn't, we don't face problems. We just sweep them under the rug. We've never healed. No. We've never healed and we've never addressed, uh, you know, this latent racism is uh, is rampant now, mm-hmm. and it only took a few dog whistles to make it all come back. Yeah. Like, it's scary how fast it's back. Really quickly. Um, and that's that's the goal with my work is to spark conversation, the necessary conversation I think that needs to happen because I think in order for things to change, you have to, like, talk about... It's like when people nowadays are talking about, like, mental health. They're like, it's important to go see a therapist. They're saying that because you have to talk about so much of the hurt that you've gone through and things like that. So I think it's... I hope when people see my work, yes, I think it's confrontational, and I, and I see that, but... The goal. But it's not overt. It's layered in a very smart way. It's not like hitting you with a hammer. Yeah. Like some of them, at first glance, are kind of innocuous. Or you might pair it with a photo of a baby or a child, and it looks kind of cute on the surface. And then the words, the way you've collaged them, hit you yeah. in a different way. It's kind of like that bomb that hits you know later. But. Uh, Forget where I was going with that, Ashola. But the point. Uh, so next after that, so you're going to continue this body of work. Are you going to do a local show? Are you going to do a, any kind of exhibition next? Or are you not quite ready to think Ye- about that yet? Yeah, I, I definitely want to, and I've been thinking about it. Um, I feel like the fine art world is a lot more tricky than, especially political work. Right. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find, you know, uh, I know it's hard to make money as art mm-hmm. and you're saying buy this thing and possess it and bring it home and put it on your wall. So it needs to be, a lot of things have to be right timing wise for a piece to be purchased and brought home. Exactly. So the challenge doesn't stop you from doing it though, even though the plant. So, I mean, that's consistent in, I think both of our uh, sort of, art careers or the projects we're interested in, you don't really think about, oh, well, how I'm, I'm not going to start this project until it's sustainable financially. Mm. It may never be, but that's not the point. Yeah, and I think my goal is to show in these institutions so that people can view them and com- the proper conversations can be had. Um, but, I mean, right now, an artist that's inspired me the work that I'm making right now is like someone like Barbara Kruger. I don't know. Or Jenny Holzer. Uh, Barbara Kruger is more so like, she's very collage based, but like heavy on words. Um, okay. You should check out her work. It's I super will. incredible. So you've definitely seen it before. But you're, you've been influential on me as, uh, as kind of a tastemaker around me. I'll see you post about something, an album you like or something new that just dropped and you're, and I'll go check it out because if you like it, I, I it doesn't mean I might like it, but I at least need to hear it because it's in. If you're talking about it, it's in the ether of like <laughs> global, like you know, conversation about stuff. Yeah, that means a lot for you to say. Uh, I I don't think I'm this that sort of person, but I just love. I've always been inspired by music. It's probably what inspires me the most. I can't imagine. I can't think of the last time I've 
gone a day without listening to something. Yeah. Um, but well, you were just posting about Solange, right? Yeah, that's. And I haven't even seen it. I haven't had time to, to go pick it up and go yeah, it's just, run down what, what she released. But there's film and music to it. Just, yeah, just help me out. It's an Apple Music um, exclusive film. The album's on all platforms. But I, I'm just inspired by any artist who you can tell is just 100%, has 100% control of commitment. what they make. Yeah. Um, and no compromise. Right. You know, they're just making it. They're totally free and liberated in that. And you can just feel that with this body of work that she just did. Okay. And that's why people like her and Frank Ocean yeah. are just, like, incredible inspirations to me. Um, well, Frank, Frank Ocean is the only thing I have for my daughter, Hannah, who... Uh, I'm a cool dad about <laughs> because I turned her on to Frank Ocean, I think. Probably, mostly, maybe, maybe. But the point is, I'm sometimes up on Frank Ocean stuff before she is, and I'll text her at college, and she's like, no way, what? So I was like, how many other dads are texting Frank Ocean? Not many. I hope to be that kind of dad. I love, Frank, I love Frank Ocean, though. Like, Yeah, I've just been making a ton of these. They're really small. They're just like eight and a half by 11. Um, I've thought about a book for them. Yeah. Uh, maybe like after a year, just putting them all together. Um, I think that would be a better way for people to consume it instead of like individual prints or whatever. Um, but yeah, I want to well, like... The phrasing is kind of abstract. And if you go to adasholamckindy.com, uh, you can see the collages. So what is kind of a, a what is sort of the candy to you to put words together what what sort of is the catalyst of you and okay this is going to pair up nice because it speaks to something that you're trying to say is there something you can articulate around oh these are the types of words i'm putting together that have a, this type of result mm-hmm. or provocation um right now the my method of going about collaging is like very uh, spontaneous like I literally I literally will physically spread everything out that I've cut up and just like look at it and then kind of like look at images then look at the wording and just like figure out something that works um, I eventually I want to start I definitely have other ideas as far as like I'm, I'm going to be very heavy into like wording soon and I think um, eventually I'll have more theme stuff like I'm going to do these collages and it's going to center around this issue or this topic. Um, I think I'll get there at some point, but right now it's just very spontaneous. It's how I'm enjoying creating. I apologize. I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, that's great. And I also think like the, just as another sort of platform for thinking about revenue and I don't, think it cheapens it by me saying that a lot of these would lend themselves to wearable items, accessories. You yeah. Know, they're of a size and placement and orientation where I could see them on shirts. And you always have a clever way of putting, you know, that extra thing. I'm not, I hope you don't mean like, a, oh, just slap them on a T-shirt. Because no, yeah, you yeah. have so many other ways that you think about how it should lay on the clothing and how it should be viewed that I don't. I don't possess those skills, but anyway, but there's other things other than a print. I mean, a book is one thing, but yeah. I think as an artist, you always have to try to 
think about how you can potentially monetize and support yourself. Like, I, I don't think money is a bad thing to talk about. No, I don't either. I think you have to leverage. Without commerce, there's, you know, the, the art and commerce have to collide at some point. They can't survive without. Yeah. Art can't survive without it. But anyway, I'm just saying I'd buy a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I think I've transitioned from fashion into this more collage work is because I think what I learned from doing clothing for the short period of time I did is not all of this socially conscious ideas that I have, I think, work in wearable form. But I think with you saying that, I've definitely thought about, oh, some of these would look cool on a shirt or a tote bag or something like that. Um, but I just want to be, collaging has forced me to be patient because the magazines that I'm, the era of magazines that I'm trying to pull from, which is typically civil rights era, like 60s, 70s, 50s, obviously. Um, but so it's, it's forced me to slow down and kind of just be patient with um, how I'm making stuff. And I think at some point I'll get there again with clothing. Yeah. But I don't know. Right now it's kind of just, it's it's a nice breather and it's allowing me to be Well, you're patient. early in it. And to be fair, I, you know, to be fair to ask you about this overall arc, like you know, how long have you been working on these collages? Maybe six months. Yeah. yeah. That's not a fair question. No. Because it's speaking, it takes a while to find that. And I don't even think you really know until it's like when you drive down a road and, you know, you're so far down the road and then you kind of turn around and look back Do you only really figure out where you are, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of. So um, anyway, I, I didn't mean to press you uh, in a way that I know it's early for the work. So um yeah, but I think, it, you know, from what I've seen of the work so far is uh, you can, you have the ability to ramp up confrontation or ramp it down or maybe leave it abstract and leave it open to interpretation so people can ask questions. I think that's another thing that you've done really well with some of the stuff is that, you know, it isn't uh, an overt statement that people read in half a second and they don't need to engage with that anymore. Mm -hmm. It can be more of an open thing where they have an aha moment later with it, or it's open to interpretation, just like everything else in life. Yeah, and I think, don't feel bad about asking me about such long, like down the road stuff, just because I, I'm definitely someone that's thinking about that stuff. Like, I don't know, I can see, for me, like a dream is like someone with a clothing brand asking me like, hey, put together something for this collection. This is the theme. I think that's where I see myself going towards or like, I don't know, I want to do something that's centered around the next election and registering people to vote and yeah. things like that. And I have imagery for that and I kind of want to do certain things centered around that. And I think those are broader, bigger ideas that I want to flesh out but uh, yeah. No, but I think uh, you hit a, an important creative point. Is I think sometimes culture in West Michigan things 
has a way of holding you back from speaking what you really want as an end goal because you don't want to be perceived as arrogant or like crazy because you're too ambitious or whatever. But saying you want to design for a clothing label or short collaborations or whatever they might be, but you have to sort of speak it. Speak even into existence. Lo- yeah, and, yeah, and I don't mean it like in... in a weird sense, but it's like you have to allow yourself to say, what's the goal? What's the big idea? Where do I see myself with this in three years? Either this time next year, I won't be doing podcasts, and you'll look back that my last one was in July of uh, 2019, or I'll still be doing them, mm-hmm. and there'll be a consistent arc to them. Like, there's, I'll shut it down. I don't have a problem. Like, it's a failure for me on this podcast is like a pretty low bar. It doesn't cost me much to put it out. So anyway, I'm just saying that you inspire me in a way to keep going, but it helps me articulate in what's happening in my own mind because I haven't really even thought about it yet. Mm-hmm. But I know enough in being 20 years ahead of you in a career to go, okay, you have to be able to say this is the big goal. That's the big apple I'm going after. Yeah, and I think to go back to the people that inspire me, I think in order to achieve what they achieved, you have to like think big. Yeah. And I think even from a mid-sized city like GR, it's fine to think that way. Um, but I also have to like rein myself in sometimes because I like I sometimes want to jump to uh, the like last step. Yeah. When there's so many other steps. Artists are impatient. I talked to Brian Vanderhoek about the creative process. You know, once I'm into something, I can't wait to... I'm I'm enjoying it, but I can't wait to get it finished and out, finished and out, finished and out. Like, I'll get excited about our conversation, the portraits we took. I'm like, oh, I'd love to put that out tomorrow. Like, there's a quick return, like something about it. But it's good to have restraint. Like, you don't want to go out and get a loan for a million dollars for your T-shirt company that's going to be centered around the next election. You know, that could could be brutal. That could be a death (laughs) sentence. So um, it's, but I think it's, you know, just opening them up about collaboration and what the goal is with these. Let people check them out on your website and see where that happens. It'll happen if, if you're talking about it. Things, the opportunities are more likely to happen than not because you did say, okay, I'm going to put this out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think right now that's kind of why I'm just creating. Um, and I think I need to... For, I'm starting to formulate ideas around different things I'm trying to do. But, yeah, it's just it's a part of the process, you know, is like figuring out how to get to where you want. Like, I want to be in a museum. How does that happen? And right. just... And it's, I, I do feel like I'm starting over in this kind of an industry, but I'm just trying to slowly figure it out one day at a time. And I did just start, and it's like I can't expect to. Right. But we're be, all impatient. Yeah. I'm yeah. extremely, and I think a lot of that comes from Instagram and Instagram yeah. gratification. I think a lot of that, it's very obvious. Dude, in why my we Instagram are feed, I follow nothing but really. Uh, amazing photographers that I admire and I feel like I'm not busy and I'm not really creating anything of any value because you only see the best of the best of the best of the best and when you follow a thousand great photographers there's always shoots going on I'm like I didn't get that shoot I didn't get that shoot but I'm watching you know so I know exactly what you're saying where that angst of seeing curated streams yeah lends to your own sort of impatience 
or yeah. wanderlust or insecurity about, well, I'm, I'm just I'm just shooting a corporate portrait today. I'm yeah. not putting out a book. I suck. Yeah, I feel like we're all constantly comparing ourselves to people's highlight reels when that's just not realistic. You know, I always have to remind myself that's not that person's actual reality. It's yeah. just what they're presenting. That's cool. Yeah. Look out well, for what I things. think is cool is that, you know, you're 28 and I'm 50. And that's what? 20? 25, almost yeah, 25 years. Help me with the math there, o- young o- Almost man. 25 years. Young Adashola. Yeah. Help me out. But, uh, you know, I, I, your hustle and your grind inspires me in that you constantly have something, some of your own vision that you're following and you're not. You've never just settled into, like, you're not going to do art anymore. So I know eventually, uh, I, you've already, you're already successful to me, honestly. Thanks. I know it doesn't feel that way, but it I mean doesn't. it to, to, I know it doesn't feel that way, but you already have done a hundred times more than most people that come out of art school. And I say that as somebody who knows a lot of students who've come out of art school and they're, they're working some other job. And they're not doing their, they're not pursuing their passion. So I would say my hat's off to you. I admire you. I like your work. Thanks. I like your mind. And I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope this sounds okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, fine. It's never going to see the light of day. Yeah. No, but we'll always have the portraits. Sweet. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Well, what'd you guys think? I enjoyed that conversation with Adeshola McKinney. My big takeaway from this conversation is just to keep grinding, keep keep pushing, and keep exploring yourself. It'd be a art way, different ways to make art. I don't think Adeshola really thought six to nine months ago or a year ago he'd be working in collage. But these pieces are really powerful. You should check them out at adesholamckinney.com. And also his Instagram account, which is just at Adeshola McKinney, and also on Twitter. So uh, let me know what you think. That'd be great. Hey, started a new Facebook page for Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. If you're on Facebook, just uh, search for Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. Hit a like, follow us, uh, and what you'll get is a lot of uh, video clips of our conversations, uh, behind-the-scenes footage of photo shoots, Uh, plus all the portraits that I've created of each of my guests before we sat down for the podcast conversation. So you get to see a little of my work and that person. You get to visualize that person. One thing I love about this podcast is that all of you, even though you might not know our guest, what they look like, you can see what they look like through these portraits. And, um, I really enjoy this process. So above all, if you enjoy this podcast, share it on Facebook, like us on and follow us on Facebook at Full Exposure with Brian Kelly and tell a friend about it and help us grow. Have a great week, everybody.